0: Welcome to Inspired Surfers on Wavelength Community Radio, in partnership with Jimmy's Iced Coffee. In this episode, Jim is in conversation with Richard Walker. They are discussing Richard's passion for the surf, and how this has had an impact on how he runs Iceland Foods as an environmental activist. Richard, how are you?
1: I'm good. I'm I'm surviving lockdown life. Thank you. It's it's been quite an adjustment, but uh no, I think I think this whole process, you uh you, I have a lot more gratitude. Just thankful if it's a sunny day, thankful the kids are getting on, thankful we live in a nice house in a nice, nice area. So it's 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 bizarre when you don't have anything to plan for and you're not tearing around the country. You 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 tend to become a, a bit more um a bit more grateful for the little things.
0: Yeah, I guess when when you are tearing around the country, you don't have time to actually stop and consider these kind of things. And um, yeah, I, I feel very much in the same boat. Where where um where are we speaking? Where where are you speaking from? So we live in
1: rural Cheshire in South Cheshire, so surrounded by kind of hills and countryside, which is great. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of opportunities to still spend time outdoors and exercise. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, just, you know, great, grateful for what we do have. I think it's, you know, it's a, it, this whole thing has been a interesting opportunity to just pause and reflect on where you're at and, you know, think about the future.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, um what, what have, what have you got on your doorstep for exor- exercise, wise straight, straight out yeah, of the door?
1: Yeah, exactly. Straight out of the door. So we've got, um, we've got, uh, what's known as the sandstone trail, which is like, uh, you know, rolling hills and, uh, nice, nice woodlands and and things like that. So there's loads and loads of trail running, and lots of nice hiking. Um, so yeah, we're we're really blessed in that regard. But unfortunately, there's no there's no sea anywhere near. So the the nearest the nearest wave is uh, Surf Snowdonia, the uh, artificial wave, and that's about fifty minutes away. And obviously, that's closed. So uh, we have to make do with what we got.
0: When when that when it is open, are you, are you fairly frequent to that place?
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's dangerously close to where I work. Our, our head office it's about 800 people and uh, it's on a, a, a not so glamorous industrial estate in North Wales. Um, but Surf Snowdonia is uh, only about 30 minutes from there, just down the A55. So, you know, on a summer's evening, I'm, in normal times, I'll probably be slipping out from work a little bit early and shooting down to Surf Snowdonia for, a, for an hour or two. And the great thing about it, it's obviously not, not the the heaviest or punchiest wave in the world but it's it's always there you know it's always regular so you're always you are as guaranteed to catch at least a ride
0: that's super fun um so and your so a little bit more about your HQ you are um md of you know a, a fairly large company um which is iceland
1: yeah which is a business that was set up by my mum who thought of the name and my dad Uh, 50 years ago this November, so from one small little shop in Oswestry in 1970, and uh, it's obviously grown and grown from that, and today we employ 25,000 people. Uh, It's actually, we've recruited 4,000 more people since uh, this pandemic hit, so it's close to 30,000 people now, and um, we've got almost 1,000 shops around the country, um, and a turnover of. Um, about three point four billion quid. So it's been a, an amazing success story, and it all started from dad borrowing thirty quid from his mum, who he paid <laughs> back. By
0: the way, wow, we—that's um—that's that's quite a—that's uh, that's that's seriously badass. Basically, that's seriously seriously cool.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. I I mean, I joined the business um, about seven eight years ago because. I've obviously grown up with the business and it's part of my DNA as well as obviously my family's. So I, I always kind of heard about tales of, of growing the business and the challenges around the, the dining room table uh, as a kid. But you know, when I, when I left um, school and then university, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I was absolutely adamant. I didn't want to try and follow in my dad's footsteps and try and emulate him. So I was very keen to kind of go off and find my own path and do my own thing and I'm really glad I did that and I waited until I was in my early 30s before giving Ice in the go and I, I spent the first year stacking shelves in in London and really getting to understand the business working wow. full time in the shops being and then eventually uh, re, uh working my w- way up to store manager and then from there to the head office and various roles and then obviously today I'm MD.
0: And when you were when you were doing your shelf stacking um Are you kind of, are you you letting people, your colleagues know that your surname is Walker or are you kind of like, oh, hi, I'm, I'm Richie, Richie W. Um, (laughs) you know, my parents don't, you know, did did they know that your parents owned it or like they found it at least?
1: You know, I was, I was totally honest with them because I thought they'd find out sooner or later. And, um, they were brilliant because it was slightly awkward for like the first hour. And then (laughs) when they see that you just get your sleeves rolled up and get stuck in, you're just one of the team. And to be honest, that year, you know, it was, it was one of the hardest, um, of my life, um, but also just such a great experience, you know, and I look back on it with such fondness and I've made friends for life from it. And it was also really humbling because you just appreciate how damn hard, our our store colleagues work and, and some of the, some of the shit they have to go through as well, you know, shoplifters or angry customers or dumb decisions from head office, it was uh, a really interesting experience, and I always say, like you know, any any politician should should work in retail on the front line for for a month to experience, you know, what what uh, modern day Britain really is.
0: Yeah, it's it's not easy, and especially during these times as well. The, the, the guys who are stacking shelves are just as heroic as the NHS. You know, there's, they are they are there at the front doing their thing, and um, they they all need a, a massive pat on the back, pay rise, whatever it is. Um,
1: hundred percent, and that's the word I use. I mean, they are nothing short of heroes and, you know, the, the resilience and just how they've stepped up and got on with the job and faced all of these challenges, you know, this unprecedented panic buying that we had in, in mid March and, you know, the shelves being stripped bare and customers running in and grabbing as much loo roll as they could. You know, they dealt with all of that and it wasn't easy. Um, but it's not just our frontline store colleagues, it's, you know, the guys and girls who are picking in the depots and the depot delivery drivers, the truck drivers, the home delivery drivers, the supply chain people, you know, everyone has a role to play and they've all stepped up brilliantly through this crisis.
0: Uh, so Richard, what the, the gap between, um, university and, um, and Iceland, what, what happened there? Where where did you go to uni and then what did you do after that before uh, joining the Iceland family?
1: I went to Durham, which uh, is obviously a, a beautiful kind of uh, medieval city in the Northeast, and uh, it was a fantastic three years. I read Geography, so that really opened my eyes to to a lot of different experiences and travel, um, and I really got the travel bug. So I went uh, backpacking around the world afterwards, but to some fairly unusual places. We, we t- sort of took the Trans-Siberian all the way across Russia, and we went to Burma, and uh, Southeast Asia and South America. It was uh, it was a really really cool time. Um, but yeah, ultimately the the job I I got on the graduate scheme of uh, 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 Jones Lang LaSalle, which is a chartered surveying company, and and uh, qualified ultimately as a chartered surveyor in London, selling commercial property. So it was a totally different path, but um, it was it was important for me to do that. And I think I always had the entrepreneurial bug, so I ended up eventually. Um, moving to Poland and setting up a property fund out there that we we grew and and then sold and then we moved back to London and set up a, a new property fund and Bywater properties is still going today it's um, it 's a, a big property investment business and it 's run by other people now, but I remain chairman of it and it 's you know it 's something i 'm immensely proud of and it was really important i think to me more than other people that I did my own thing and kind of proved it to
0: myself as well. Yeah, that, I mean that's that's a that's a seriously impressive um track record. I mean, do do you mind me how, how old are you, Richard? I'm uh thirty-nine now. <laughs> forty this year. <laughs> yeah, that's that's seriously cool. I mean I'm um I, I was just thirty nine so I'm forty next year. Yes. Um uh, <laughs> beat you or you um, beat me. Um but that yeah, yeah, that's that's um that's a seriously cool thing. I mean from going from geography to then knowing a lot about finance i mean how how did you how did you link those two i mean I, I, i'm asking purely from from my from my business background which is i've you know i'm just driven by passion and positivity and i have no skills within within finance or anything like that and luckily we've got great people around us to help us um to to do all that how how does that transfer from things like geography or did you just excel really well i mean you just generally you must be just be pretty brainy and you can you might as well big yourself when you're here, right? I, no, I wasn't. I wasn't
1: that great at school, and actually, maths was never my strong point. But obviously, when you're running an investment fund and managing other people's money, you, you've got to get numbers literate. And um, it, it was just a lot of hard work. And you know, that first office I had in Poland, I, I remember like after the first week, I just thought, "What the hell have I done?" You know, because I, I moved out on my own originally. I was it was just me in some windowless office, you know, with 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 a a laptop and I didn't really know what I was doing, but, um, you know, you, you, work hard, you learn. And, um, if, if you have a bit of luck along the way, then, then, you know, we, we managed to achieve great things. Uh, but again, same as you, you've got to recognize what you're good at and, and delegate the rest. And, um, I'm a very good delegator. That's for sure.
0: So what do what you, what do you rubbish at? Um,
1: I, uh, lots of things. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of things. Uh, I I tell you what I'm not good at. I'm not good at, um, uh, my concentration levels are terrible. You know, I'm I'm kind of renowned in the business. Like if someone's got to give a presentation to me, they know it's got to be like two slides or else I just start to drift off. And occasionally we have to have these really long, arduous, you know, two, three hour operational meetings, real detailed stuff about planograms and, you know, customer insights and stuff.
0: And it's, it's a struggle. Can you, um, for, the, for the audience that doesn't know what a planogram is, would you mind letting them know? It's like,
1: you know, where, where you put the frozen peas, basically. <laughs> I always thought like with, with retail, you know, you just put something on a shelf and it sells, but it is way, way more complicated than that and scientific. And, you know, it's there's, there's a lot of consideration that goes into exactly where you put things and uh, at what price and how often you move it around and how you get the su- the supply of it in the first place to the shelf and what happens after it's sold it's, um, infinitely complicated.
0: Yeah. And, and our company when you know, when we first started, uh, Jimmy's, we always thought of oh, shelves must be continually expanding. So there's plenty of space to put ours on, but you never forget that you actually have to take something off to put something else on. Um, yeah, right. so, um, that, that's always been our kind of just that, that challenge of, or who, who, who can we pick on to steal space from? Um, And we've managed to do it a little bit, not not hugely, but enough to make us really happy and proud of what we're doing. So that's cool. Um, But so so you've done Durham um, and Poland, the Trans-Siberian Railway. These are all fairly um, far away from the sea. I mean, maybe not Durham so much, but um, how did you how did you get it? What was your first um, introduction to surfing? What was your first wave? What was the first board? Where were you? Who were you with and why? Well,
1: um, annoyingly, my, my first introduction to surfing was, was probably the best and therefore it completely spoiled me. And there was a bit of a reality <laughs> check. I, I think I, I was like 20 or 21 and I just qualified as a, uh, chartered Surveyor, but I'd, I'd, um, s- split up from my then girlfriend and I just decided to treat myself. So I went, I got my backpack and dusted it off and I booked a, like a two week surf camp in Costa Rica. <laughs> which, which was amazing. And, um, you know, it's, I was a typical beginner, you know, I, I got absolutely suckered by buying this mini Mal board that, you know, I didn't really need. And I was just flailing around in the water and, but thinking I was, I was much better than I actually was, but I certainly got the bug and the enthusiasm. And then from then on, it was just like regular trips as much as I, I could, obviously domestically down to Cornwall a lot. Um, and, and North Devon um, but also abroad. And I think, you know, over the over the last kind of 15 plus years, it's, it's been amazing, like developing my surfing skills, but also the, w- the places where it's taken me, you know, real uh, unusual spots all around the world and met some incredible people uh, that I wouldn't normally have met if I wasn't a surfer. So it's, it's given me so much opportunity. And of course, it's, it's great for your physical and mental health as well.
0: Yeah, right. But I mean, so how come when you're, when you're sat there thinking, right, I'm dusting off my backpack, I'm going to go and do, and how come your finger pinpoints on Costa Rica and surfing as opposed to snowboarding in British Columbia or something else? What was it? That, what was that little flick?
1: I, I don't know. There's probably an ad with a girl in a bikini on it or something. <laughs> there we
0: go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm being honest. <laughs> I, was always, I was always into, you know, adventures and, and trying to push myself. Um, my other great passion, uh, aside from surfing is, is mountaineering. And over the years I've, I've done a lot of climbing and, uh, expeditions all around the world. So, you know, I have, I always like to kind of take myself out of, out of the envelope of comfort and, um, push the limits as best I can.
0: And so, yeah, I've, I've heard on the grapevine that you just accidentally um, stumbled up um, Everest one day. Is that, is that, is that correct? That's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was a two month expedition and, uh, I, um, yeah, we, we went on the north side, which is the quieter side, but it's also colder and, uh, more challenging. And, um, it, it was a, a brilliant experience, really hard. I mean, obviously physically hard, but mentally hard as well. When you're just festering in a, in a tent, in a tent at base camp, waiting for weather windows, really tough, but it's, it's definitely given me a, a passion for, for exploration of the mountains and, you know, I've kind of rock climbed, uh, on the continent and, in North Wales, close to where I live, and also um, uh, two years ago, did a, a first ascent of um, a mountain that had never been climbed before in Kyrgyzstan, on the the border with China. Wow. Uh, so, same height as Mont Blanc; it was four thousand eight hundred meters. And uh, I tell you, the the feeling to be the first person to stand where no one else has ever stood, and you know, look out uh, across the horizon is is just so special. And the coolest thing we, um, I got to name the mountain, uh, which is a little bit Victorian, but you know, it's, it's always nice to to be able to do that. And I named it after my mum, uh, who's, uh, unfortunately really poorly with Alzheimer's, but you know, wow. now in Southern Kyrgyzstan on maps, you can see peak Rianith, uh, which is, uh, which is a pretty cool, um, legacy to, to give to her as well.
0: That is, that is just super cool. And uh, I'd like to just ask a couple more questions on that, if that's okay. Um, how how come? I mean, are there uh, there can't be that many more peaks left in the world for people to climb. Was this is this is just this um, is this one of a few, or is this the, how how come you had your heart set on that particular one?
1: I just really wanted to do a first ascent because whilst Everest is is a challenge, it's so crowded and it's a bit of a motorway, and it's not. You know, it's not the conquest and, you know, the, the challenge that you might expect it's challenging in different ways, but there are actually thousands of unclimbed peaks on every continent all over the world. Uh, it's really surprising how many there are. And, um, you know, I just, I just wanted that challenge of, of doing something completely different to Everest. And I sort of worked my way up to it, but yeah, there's, uh, there's un- unclimbed peaks, I think on every continent and, um, the the mountains are out there, you know, aside from the big headline mountains, there's infinitely, you know, variety of other mountains, which, uh, are more challenging, a lot quieter. Um, and, and I think more rewarding.
0: That's, that's fascinating. So you're, you're, you're stood at the base of this um, of this mountain that you've yet, yet to summit and um, you're, you're there with a the team. How many of you are doing that?
1: Yeah, there was a team of 10 of us. Um, so there was about five sort of climbing clients, if you like, and it was a UK-based company that put it together. They've been running expeditions every year for the last 20 years to Kyrgyzstan. And Kyrgyzstan's interesting. It was obviously in the former Soviet Union and therefore it, it got no... You know, no travelers, no tourism, uh, but it's 95% mountains um, and the locals weren't interested because it's a very sparsely uh, populated country and it's a nomadic uh, lifestyle full of of yak farmers who, who live in yurts um, and therefore you've just got a huge variety of unclimbed peaks and this company called ISM would run an expedition to a different part of the country every year and find new peaks that weren't mapped, uh, that hadn't been tackled before. And uh, we did it with a bloke called Vladimir, who was continually drinking vodka. And Vladimir was the head of the Kyrgyz Mountaineering Authority, which, uh, which made the whole thing
0: official and also hilarious. Wow. <laughs> what, what an amazing adventure. How long did it take? Last question. Uh, it took
1: about two weeks, which, um, you know, is still a long time to be away from your family and the business, but uh, it, it was manageable. And uh, I think also my liver needed a rest after two weeks because um, after coming down from every mountain, uh, Vladimir would be very keen to, to give a toast of vodka. And, and his, his phrase, I'll never forget it, was um, for drinking, not for health. And then you'd have to <laughs> knock back a
0: load of vodka with Vladimir. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so with, with, you're, you're taking two. How, how long ago did you, did you do that summit? And were you MD when
1: you did that? Um, I, I think I, it was just before I stepped up to MD, but, uh, it was about, about two years ago.
0: Okay. Well, that's amazing. And then, cause I, I try and obviously we don't get a great deal of time off, um, to do stuff, but I mean, I, mean, I had five weeks off at Christmas time, um, cause I, I like getting out of the UK for Christmas cause I, I don't like being bombarded with messaging. Um, it's amazing when you go to other places like, um, we were in Byron for a little while and Nicaragua a couple of Christmases ago and just had no, had nothing. It was just very much, like, oh, Merry Christmas on one on that one random day and everything else is just completely normal. It was it was such a nice, refreshing, refreshing thing to do. Um, so how how does it work? I mean, you're you're being MD of Iceland. How do you you've got to be quite picky and choosy as to how much time you can take off and then to what you do in that time to um, benefit yourself and obviously your family and stuff. How does that work and how do you juggle it all?
1: Yeah, it is. It is difficult. And, um, you know, those those mini breaks, as my wife calls them, to go off adventuring is is really Im- important to me. But, you know, as the role gets busier, it's harder to find the time. Uh, Christmas is particularly challenging. I mean, it's kind of what retailers live for because it's where you take the money and you, you're building up to it all year. We have a massive spike in sales. But it does mean that you're very much working, you know, right up until sort of uh, Christmas Eve um, because our, our shops are open. So um, Christmas is a bit of a funny time, but it's also a really exciting time to be in in retail. But you've just got to plan ahead and uh, be a bit selfish with with your time and make sure that you ring fence and dedicate time. You know, I, I look at my life in three buckets. I obviously have my work life and I have my personal life. And I have my family life, and now I've got a, a wife and two daughters. You know that that's just as important to dedicate and spend time with them as as the other two buckets in my life. And I always try and keep each of those three buckets in balance, but I, I never quite manage to. There's always one which is out of whack.
0: <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I've um I've, I've got four buckets, and the fourth is just um like boy time with me and me and me and my buddies. Um, and um, it's it is so nice to when you get that balance and you kind of realize, oh, flipping egg, I've, I've actually managed to get my work done, hang out with my family, have a little bit of me time and, and have spend some time with the boys is, um, it, is a really cool thing. And, it, and it can, you can do it all in one day sometimes if you're lucky enough. Um, yeah, exactly.
1: And I think for me, it's the realization that it's never going to be perfectly in balance. It's continual work in progress, but you just got to keep, you know, keep working on it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, there, there's never any end to it, and I quite like that because you're always always um, tweaking, aren't you? And, and new things come your way that you, you weren't expecting, and you've got to adapt to how it works. Um, and so, with your with your um, with your love of surfing, how does that kind of um, uh, transfer to work? Do you do do you encourage people to surf in your work because you're feeling certain benefits from doing surfing or climbing and stuff like that?
1: yeah definitely. and you know with my property business, but also uh, at iceland you know i've I've taken people to surf snowdonia on on surf trips and um, uh, tried to kind of show them the the benefits of it. Uh, it's obviously a, a really challenging sport to get into, but um, I think you know anyone that gets in the water and just gets their hair wet is such an exhilarating experience and so beneficial in so many different ways. so it is something that I try and encourage in others who I work with, but also you know, I try and bring some of the, some of the beliefs I have and into, into my work. And, it, it, you know, that my love of surfing, my love of the oceans, my love of, the, of mountains has really driven my kind of belief in environmental stewardship and clearly Iceland, you know, with our commitments on plastics and palm oil and other stuff, that's, that's been driven by my love of, of the ocean and realizing how badly we're, we're messing up the planet
0: yeah would you mind um kind of expanding a little bit on that because i'm just from where from where we're sat um we we yeah. we sell iced coffee that comes in cartons with plastic lids and um you know a couple of years ago i was walking over on the jurassic coast at a, a well popular surf reef um that wasn't working but there was a beautiful little waterfall coming down and there's you know there's amazing fossils everywhere and i stumbled across a plastic lid and it, it and it fits our carton and it might have been one of our carton lids it might not have been but the The point is it it was there and it shouldn't have been there and that was a real big alarm bell in my head and um, that's when we thought you know what why don't we just put this into cans and it can be infinitely recyclable and yes it takes a lot more energy to produce a can but why don't we try and write that off as a as a carbon neutral thing and we become a single-use plastic free company by 2020 and we're we're almost going to hit that goal. Um, Corona's kind of scuppered it a little bit but we've We've converted three products into can already which we're like immensely proud of and 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 the product actually tastes even better which is amazing so um yeah I'd be really keen to hear how like what you guys have done and our and are continually doing as a as an awesome supermarket
1: yeah I mean that you know that's a really powerful story and um you know, you, you should be congratulated on your leadership there because ultimately, you know, anyone can be a, a leader on these issues, which can seem overwhelming. You know, what can I do to, to stop the scourge of plastic and, you know, to stop the rainforest being cut down, but you know, you don't have to run a business. You can be a consumer. It's about the buying choices you make, the philosophy you have, and you know, how you can lead by example with, with all of that. So I, you know, that's really admirable. And, um, you know, likewise for me, I, I've seen firsthand as a surfer the scourge of plastic in, in the oceans and on the beaches all over the world where I've surfed. And, you know, I don't want for my kids uh, a future where the tidelines are, uh, are just littered with, with plastic and uh, microplastics and nurdles and, you know, all of these problems that we see on beaches. It's, it's unacceptable. And I guess for me, I had that penny drop realization that actually as a retailer, I'm a leading cause of that problem. So I've got to do everything I can to try and raise awareness and and pivot the company away from plastic because the supermarket industry uh, uses uh, a million tons of, of, uh, you know, non-recyclable disposable plastic every single year. And that invariably ends up either in landfill or in the ocean um even if it is recycled you know it can't be recycled indefinitely so yeah we we um made a you know we looked into it very carefully we we worked on some of our own label uh, packaging technology and in January 2018 we were competent enough to make uh, the firm commitment that by the end of 2023 so 5 years we would be the first retailer anywhere in the world to completely eliminate plastic packaging from our own label products by the end of 2023. And, you know, that, that is a big audacious goal. Some people say it's impossible, but I don't care. You know, I, I, I want to kind of take on the challenge and, and we're making brilliant progress. Uh, we're, we're two years in and we've reduced our plastic tonnage by just under 30%. So we're kind of on track and, you know, we're determined to get there and you're right. COVID has made things harder, but you know, we're, we're, Cracking on with it, and we're trialing and testing new technologies every single week. And I'm determined that we'll get there because, ultimately, as a, a history, we as a company, we've got a long, proud history of corporate activism. We were the first retailer in the world to ban GM ingredients from our own label foods. Uh, we were the first in the UK to take out artificial colours, flavourings, and preservatives. Um, we were the first to take out CFCs from refrigeration, which was causing a hole in the ozone layer. These were all things that my dad as a Greenpeace member, uh, drove. And, you know, I, I want to take that corporate activism onto the next generation, uh, because we have a long, proud history of it for standing up and doing the right thing.
0: I, th- I think it's amazing, um, what you guys are doing and I, and j- just from, from where I'm sat, I mean, you, you guys did the, um, the, the Christmas ad, the, the cartoon orangutan one, is that, is that, is that correct? You know, that, that, that was incredible. Um, and I think it's, yeah. And I'd love to hear more about the, the the whole palm oil thing that you guys are up to. But from where I'm sat, I'd um, I'd love to hear more about it from a consumer point of yeah. view. Um, I don't know how that how it would translate to me, whether it's billboards or uh, targeted digital or whatever. I'm not sure. Um, but you're doing so much amazing stuff, and I, I I would imagine I don't know how many people know about it, and I think more people could know about it. And this is just my own personal opinion. You can say you know actually 40 million people know about it. In um, mm. which case, that's great, but. Um, shouting from the rooftops about that kind of stuff is is amazing. It's really really cool.
1: Yeah, I think as a company, you know, because we're private, because we're family um, owned and controlled, you know, we we can we can put our heads above the parapet and we can stand up for what's right. And a lot of big corporates, especially those that are listed on stock exchanges with outside shareholders, they they tend to keep their heads down on some of these issues. And you know, I'm determined to do the opposite and um, call out what's wrong and. Uh, palm oil was a great example of that, you know, um, it's, it's found in 50% of all supermarket products, everything from lipstick to ice cream, to pies and pastries, and it's causing horrific deforestation, particularly in Southeast Asia, where there's 146 football pitches of, uh, tropical rainforests being chopped down every single hour. And that's in Indonesia alone. And it's to, to make way for our absolute, you know, runaway consumption of palm oil. And we looked at that and thought, well, you know, we don't have to necessarily put it in everything without question. So let's take it out of all of our own label products. And we were the first retailer to do that as well. And you're right with the, um, with the infamous band ad that really raised awareness on the issue of what we were doing and why we were doing it. And it was a very emotive ad. It was, a, um, a, a originally a Greenpeace ad that we repurposed. And Although it was banned from TV because it didn't meet the advertising guidelines, it actually became the most watched Christmas ad of all time and has now been watched by over 80 million people. Um, And I kind of think that's incredible, you know, not only because consumers really responded and reacted to it well, but also it it kind of rewrote the the rules of marketing and paid TV. Uh, You know, we, we were able to bypass that and get the message out loud and clear.
0: That that is amazing. It, it's it's the that whole that tide has turned very very quickly from about three or four years ago. It used to be a competition to see who could do the best Christmas ad, and now when you see a Christmas ad by, let's say, John Lewis, they'll say, "Oh, look, they've got they've got half a million to spend on filming that that John Lewis ad, and yet they can't. They're, they're firing people left, right, and centre, and so it just yeah. becomes this complete slagging match. So you have, I mean, you've got, I mean, if you're going to be doing an ad, you've got to be really really careful. And you guys have obviously got banned, but. That doesn't matter it actually got you more press than or more attention by, by, by doing that and that's a great thing
1: yeah but it has to it has to come from a position of authenticity because i think consumers are clever and they can smell um you know when when uh, companies are, are just jumping on the bandwagon or or uh, you know trying to push a cause that they don't necessarily believe in but i flew out to indonesia and had a look firsthand at exactly what all meant for local indigenous people, for animals that have been killed and brutalized and, and obviously for, for the rainforest. And I was just so horrified and alarmed that, you know, I was determined that we had to do something about it. And what's really impressive is that, you know, despite those numbers I gave you at the start of this interview, you know, we've got a lot of staff and a lot of sales. We're actually tiny in the context of the UK We're yeah. 2% of the market. And yet we were able to raise this issue to international awareness and ultimately it helped um, push the, the world's biggest palm oil producer uh, to new commitments on zero deforestation and the Malaysian government as well to commit to uh, zero deforestation as well in the future. So, you know, it's a great piece of corporate activism and I'm I'm really proud of what the 25,000 staff managed to achieve.
0: Yeah, I, I really applaud you for that. I think that's amazing. Um, I think most people who are listening to this will probably be nodding and going, yeah, um, we need to need to put more more support towards your way it's really really cool um when it when it just like a random question when it comes to um you're not using plastic anymore obviously um I, what percentage of your um kind of own label stuff is frozen is it is it all of it or no about a third of um our uh
1: total sales come from frozen and our frozen is uh almost it almost uh, entirely own labels, probably about 90% own label. And then, so um, how do you,
0: cause if I, if I didn't do plastic, I'm going to think of cardboard and then putting that in a freezer, it might get soggy. Like that, that's a, that's a, that, that's a, a huge issue. You guys have got to get over.
1: Yeah, definitely. And also the integrity of those supply chains as well. So I don't want to get out of plastic and just shift the problem to something else. And therefore it's really important. It's incumbent on me to make sure that, that we're not doing that. And, um, I've, I've taken a lot of time and effort uh, to, to, you know, to visit packaging suppliers, to look at the technology. I went to the forests of Finland uh, not so long ago uh, to look at this new carton board packaging that's been produced. And um, I think we wouldn't have been having this conversation 10 years ago, but now the technology is there. You know, they're doing amazing things. Most of our solutions are coming from trees. And so long as they're sustainably sourced, which means for every tree chopped down, they plant another four that's a reforestation program then i'm i'm comfortable with the environmental trade-off and uh we're, we're finding all new technologies that means that we can start to use paper and board packaging in in, in our frozen packaging that that uh, doesn't affect the the taste or the performance of, of
0: the product and and does that is that all through the forestry stewardship council is that through those guys yeah
1: yeah, yeah fsc certified which is what what we're insisting on yeah um but there isn't, you know, there is no perfect alternative. I'm the first to say that. And whatever we do, as as humans, we're going to leave a footprint. But it's just trying to leave a smaller footprint as
0: possible. Yeah, that that's amazing. Um, you, you mentioned about your your, your old man being. Um, uh, is he? Did you say the ambassador for Greenpeace, or he's uh, he's on? No, he's he's been
1: a long term member, okay. um, as have I. So um, you know, and it's nice now to have picked that up. And and now I'm on. Uh, the ocean advisory board for for greenpeace so it's really really cool to kind of get more involved in their work and understand how they do it uh and they're a fantastic organization because they you know they're a bit like iceland in in a lot of ways they're they're mavericks they're outsiders they punch above their weight and ultimately they they get results
0: yeah that's very cool and 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 kind of in a similar parallel vein you've got um the surface against sewage of which you're you're a trustee of is that is that correct
1: yeah yeah i'm a trustee there i've been been a trustee for a, a year or two and and that was really born out of my friendship with uh, the ceo Hugo who uh is a really inspiring guy and and uh is a real um advocate for the ocean and for environmentalism so it's a it's a brilliant organization to be part of um they they've been through their troubles you know year, years ago but Hugo's really kind of picked it up and and drived it forward. And, uh, you know, now it's a, it's a nationally recognized charity that's growing really well and, and doing amazing things.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. And, And how, um, what, what kind of, you're just bringing your own experience to the table when they're having board meetings and stuff. Is that how that would work?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, you know, I think any uh, charity trustee board needs to have um, varied skills on there. So, you know, obviously I can look at it from a business perspective and a consumer perspective, uh, but I also try and look at it from a surfing perspective as well. Uh, but there's a, there's a brilliant group of, of people there and they all add value
0: in different ways. That's amazing. Um, now going, jumping back into, um, into surfing, Um What's can you uh, tell me a little bit about your quiver? What have you got? And what's your what's f- <laughs> your favorite board? Yeah, well that that mini
1: mal I, I was stung for in Costa, that's um that's now that's now up on the wall as a bit of an artwork. So I'm pleased to say I've I've moved on from that. I've progressed. Um I've tended to just go shorter and stubbier like over over the years with my quiver. So now um, you know, I'm I'm surfing I've got a nice 5.7 uh, five seven Almeric and I've I've got a five four JS. Um, which is actually it's you know, it's quite flat and wide. It's good for those UK summer waves. But um I was planning a, a trip to the Maldives, which unfortunately with COVID has, has had to be put on hold. But uh I got a really nice new um five six JS for that with a bit more rocker in it. So I was I'm looking forward at some point to to finally giving that a go on some decent waves.
0: So you're you're more of a kind of I would say progressive and aggressive style surfing as opposed to a, a laid back logger
1: <laughs> yeah i try to be but um i'd say i'm i'm kind of low low skill but high on enthusiasm for surfing
0: <laughs> i think every probably surf- a typical surfer. <laughs> and if, if you uh if you could have if we're going to do a desert island discs but desert island waves and you've actually only got four um where where are they going to be and why
1: oh that is so good i'm not sure i'll get all four but um I really, so first up would be Soup Bowls in Barbados, which uh, is a pretty kind of, can be quite a scary wave. It's a bit land of the loss with these huge boulders on the the beach and the water can be quite kind of dark and murky, Um, but it's a really exhilarating uh, wave to ride. Um, So that would definitely be on the list. I'd probably have to put Constantine Bay down there as well in yeah. uh, in North Cornwall which is an absolute swell magnet and on its day can be pretty epic and it's and then, a beautiful part sorry, of that
0: as well that I mean even uh, so, when yeah. the tide's come out and you've got those rock pools that you can just flail around in is um on a, on a baking hot day you can't you can't really beat it and then there's that little shop at the end of the road where they just sell the most amazing little little bits to get your get your energy back
1: yeah, exactly, which which is uh, well deserved after a good session. Yeah, right. Where else would I choose? I went to uh, Senegal, and that was a real adventurous kind of surf trip, but we stayed on Engor Island and surfed the left there, which I think was featured in Endless Summer 2. So I think, you know, anything that kind of can provide a bit of adventure and take you places that you, you wouldn't normally go. And maybe as a fourth, I'd have to choose one of those North Mali waves that I've never ridden, but, you know, I'm determined to get that surf trip done uh, and despite covid if not this year hopefully next year
0: so th- those those are your those are your top three ridden waves what about um what about your the, the unridden that you need to go and search and are desperate to go and ride
1: yeah i think this this uh, maldives trip especially with lockdown you know it's um it's in my dreams at the moment it's not something we can manage to to get done in 2020 but hopefully in 2021 and uh you know, the plan was to to get a boat and uh, to take a week cruising around some of the classic uh, spots around uh, the North Mali a- Atolls. So you know, chickens and and um, uh, is it Cokes? I can't remember them all now, but you know, ones ones like that. Basically, I'm I'm super keen to try a nice, snappy intermediate uh, reef break that's super easy to to uh, paddle into. And okay. a week of that, it's just what I'm, just what I need at the moment.
0: <laughs> would you, would you go on the, would you go with the family on that? Or would you go with surf buddies or how does that work? I think,
1: so, um, I think for the, for that one, probably surf buddies, because, you know, my wife knows that if we go out there, she'll, she'll end up sitting on the beach by herself for most of it, if I want to go off surfing. So, um, I'm 40 this year and, and that was, that was, a an agreement. We had a nice compromise that she, uh, she's amazing. She let me, she let me go off and I got a pass to do that one. So hopefully it will happen at some point, and, but it's really, it's really nice actually with the, with the kids because they're now of an age where they're starting to surf and then that's taken on a whole new kind of, um, dimension for me, a different meaning. And it's really nice to, to get them in the water and you know, they're they're probably be on foamy stage now and me pushing them in they're starting to be able to paddle and catch their own little waves and uh i'm i'm super excited i mean it won't be long before they're better than me because they've started so much younger and uh it it's going to be great to watch them progress and and hopefully one day catch some proper proper waves with them
0: yeah. And that, that's cool because then it's not just you making excuses to go surfing. It's actually, well, you know, everyone, everyone's into it. So we're all going to go. And then it's exactly. all. Uh, yeah. Cause
1: it, you know, it's thus far, it's been inherently selfish exercise. Um, but it will be so nice to, to get the girls surfing proper waves and and doing it as a
0: family. That's mega. Oh, well, Richard, thank you so much for your time. Um, you know, you must be an incredibly busy person. So I really appreciate um, you taking the time to have a chat with us. Um, you've done an amazing thing, and you're, it sounds like you're continuing to do continuing to do amazing things. So, my my, my I take my hat off to you. Um, congratulations on everything, and and thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you, Jim. It's been it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And and when the world starts turning again, I, I look forward to meeting up in person and hopefully catching a wave together.
0: Yeah, and you, you take it easy. See you later.
1: Cheers. Bye.
0: Bye.